All right, we are in Romans 8. Romans 8 is um, a pretty incredible chapter. There is so much in this chapter uh, to talk about, and there's no way we're going to get through it uh, tonight. That we're only going to get through about 11 verses. Um, and then we'll get through a few more a week from tonight, and then we will not have, obviously, Sunday evening on Easter, and then we'll come back and probably probably take us three lessons to get through it. Um, <clears throat> it's actually a, if you look at the word, first verse, it says, there is therefore, Romans 8, there is therefore now. And so we've done our best to try to walk you through uh, the first seven uh, chapters of Romans. And Paul is explaining uh, as clearly as he can the principle of being justified by grace through faith, not of works. And uh, he dealt with the questions of what shall we do, shall we continue in sin, and dealt with the fact that it's all what Christ has done for us and nothing that, that we can do to earn our salvation, but all what Christ has done. So now he's kind of done with that section of the first seven. And he says, now therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now in the first seven chapters of Romans, the, the word spirit or Holy Spirit um, is mentioned one time. In chapter 8, the word spirit is, I think, between 18 and 20 times, depending on which um, a version you're using. So this is all about, now that we understand that our sins are washed away, we're justified by faith in Christ, Jesus paid it all to all him we owe, now you're a Christian. Your sins are gone. So what should the rest of your life look like? And it should look like a person who walks in the Spirit. And he says, therefore, because of what Christ has done, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the result is that we are no longer under the condemnation or the wages or the penalty of sin. Condemnation is your punishment. You are no longer. Uh, our position in Christ is completely secure. No one can take it away. No sin can reverse the decision. Uh, no sin can take it back. We are secure in our salvation. The lost, however, are not. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 gives us a pretty clear picture of this idea of no longer being condemned. And if you think of <clears throat> condemnation, just think of it as being the punishment of God. Let's go to verse 16, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One of the uh, most common arguments against God from the world who's trying to hide their sin is that they can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. And they have the whole thing backwards. God is sends his son to rescue us from hell. We're going to hell from the time that we're, we're born in a way because we were born in our trespasses and sin, inherited sin from Adam. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So when Jesus came, we're already condemned. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So Jesus came to remove the condemnation. Verse 19, this is the condemnation. What are we guilty of? That light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So this beautiful portion of scripture in which we build on John 3.16 that, that those who believe in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life and what's built in this is the explanation all the world is guilty before God because we've all inherited sin from our fathers Jesus came to pay that penalty to remove the condemnation he didn't, it would be like me going into a prison to people who are on death row and say to them I condemn you to life in prison. I condemn you to life in prison. I condemn you to life in prison. Well, if they're on death row, then, then they're already condemned. But a phone call from the governor could set that person free. Jesus came to set us free. He came to remove that condemnation. And those who believe in Jesus Christ are no longer condemned. Romans 8. Let's go back to there. But men who love sin, they love darkness. They don't like the light of the world. So our job is to be the light. We continue to preach the gospel like we talked about this morning. And those who are drawn to the light, the sheep of God, will receive the message and be saved. So there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about in verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there are laws. And the law is that the wages of sin is death. The law of the Spirit is whoever believes in him will not perish. So you either live under the law of the flesh, in my flesh dwells no good thing, I'm already condemned, or that flesh is now crucified with Christ, I walk in the spirit, and now I'm no longer under the condemnation. When I die, 
Now, along the way, we're going to stumble, fall, and sin. But when I die, I will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's a guarantee. Nothing will ever separate me from the love of God, which is how Romans 8 ends. This is all about how we cannot be separated. Verse 3. I love this verse. This verse is so good. For what the law could not do, in that it, it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. I love that. What the law could not accomplish, Christ accomplished. What the law could not do, Christ has done. It says that the law could not do that. It was weak through the flesh. And I wrote this little note to myself. The law does not work because of us. And grace works because of Christ. See, the law states that if anyone keeps the law in the flesh, never sins, then you're certainly welcome to life in eternity. What's the problem? We're all sinners. So what the law could not do, it was weak through the flesh. It was our flesh that causes the law to fail. But it's the perfectness of Christ that causes grace and mercy to succeed. It's a beautiful verse. I really love it. What we couldn't do on our own, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's an interesting little statement. That Jesus came in the likeness of man, left his throne, this is all in Philippians 2, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, was able to be tempted in every single way that we are, and yet never, ever give in to temptation. It was impossible for him to do that because he's God, God in the flesh. And that perfect, without spot, without blemish sacrifice was in the likeness of man, but he wasn't a man. Amen? And he died on that cross, and that is what allows us now to succeed in having our sins washed away. The reason grace works is because of Christ, and it's not founded on us. Works was all us, and we failed. But for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then verse 4, it gets really good here. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's very important. It doesn't say fulfilled by us. We can't do it. But it is fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. If you confess to God, if you confess your sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. So we recognize that in our flesh dwells no good thing. So we don't, we leave the flesh. We talked about this last week with the divorce and the, the remarriage. And we come to Christ. Now, within us, the Holy Spirit lives. And because now we are new creatures in Christ, old things are passed away, all things become new, and we walk now in the Spirit, we are righteous. In the, that's our position in Christ. 
We put on, what the Bible says, the righteousness of Christ. It's all Jesus. It's all Christ. It's not us who have changed. It is him who is in us that changes us. So we can't take any credit for it. It's all Jesus all the time. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So that is the whole difference between those truly born again and those who are not. We look at the entire universe through a spiritual lens, through a biblical magnifying glass, through a biblical worldview. We no longer look at the world from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we recognize, as Paul did in Romans 7, the things that he knew he shouldn't do. He recognized them. So he served God with the law of his mind. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says this, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above and not on things of this earth. That's the difference. My perspective before I was a Christian was completely linear. <laughs> Everything was, was me, flesh, sin, anger, all of those things that come with, with living by the flesh. But when Christ came and I truly surrendered to Christ my entire perspective becomes from above. Set your affections on things above. Um, I want to show you an interesting uh, verse. Turn, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's right after Proverbs. Uh, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. I really like Ecclesiastes quite a bit. It was written also by Solomon. And the, <clears throat> the book starts with pretty negative verses. He starts with all vanity, all is vanity. He says, God has given me the task to look at life under the sun. And so the, mo, mo, a lot of Ecclesiastes is um, Solomon looking at life completely under the sun without setting our affections on things above. And his conclusion that life without God is vanity. All just, he calls it beating at the air. Um, but then in, in chapter 3, he um, describes in verse 9 a different type. He says, what prophet, Ecclesiastes 3.9, has the worker in which he labors? Well, he's already spent two chapters explaining that the labor under the sun is vanity. But he says, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice, do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift 
of God. Well, all of a sudden, his whole attitude shifts to rejoicing, drinking, and enjoying the good of your labor, eating and drinking what God has given you on this earth, that life is a gift from God. Well, he sounds almost like he's arguing with himself. But there's a key phrase in verse 11. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those who have eternity in their hearts. This is the same principle as Romans 8. When you have eternity in your heart and you live for not what's on the planet earth, but you live for eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose is while you're on earth, waiting for either Jesus to return or for you to go meet him uh, in heaven when you die, we are to be about eternal business, which is what we talked about this morning. Preaching the word, teaching those about Christ, reading, studying, praying, gathering, singing, witnessing, all praying, all of the things that we know we're supposed to do. If you have an eternal mindset, then life is a gift. It's a gift from God. You know, we've been here a long time, and I'm just looking at two men who I would count as dear friends as any friends I have, and, and Don and Warren have both been through very life-threatening medical emergencies in their life. Uh, and I would say without embarrassing them or asking them that they would probably count life more precious as they have another day with their grandkids and another day with their wife and their children. Uh, when you kind of are face-to-face -face with eternity, uh, both these men are certainly ready to be with Jesus. They're certainly prepared. But life is a gift. Except if you don't have eternity in your heart. You know what the Bible says about Judas? You know what it says? It would be better if he had never been born. Can you imagine? And those are the two perspectives here of Solomon. Life without God? Ugh. It's vanity. Life with God? Ah, it's a gift every day. Turn to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. After he's done kind of analyzing life under the sun, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. I think old King James says this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. So here is Solomon, king. He had a, a power. He had uh, certainly a, a wisdom the wisest man who ever lived. He certainly had money. He certainly was popular with the ladies. He had 700 wives. So when it comes to a man, we would look at him as being pretty successful. Everything the world looks for, isn't it? Money, power, girls. He had it all. Intellect. 
And his conclusion about life is, fear God and keep his commandments. This is your only purpose in life. Isn't that something from the wisest man? So how's your mindset? I would say on a Sunday night crowd, you who I all know pretty well, you have eternity in your hearts. You have the affections pointed on things above. You strive to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Because you're not condemned anymore. So therefore, because you're forgiven of your sins, it's not to go out and live like the world. You wouldn't want to. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're changed now. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. I really like those. I really like Ecclesiastes quite a bit. If you're looking for a book to kind of study, it's only 12 chapters. It's pretty good. Um, so let's look at verse 6 of Romans 8. And he, he brings in another term here. He says to be carnally minded is death. So we've already talked about eternity in your hearts and setting your affections on things above and being spiritually minded. Well, the word carnally minded, it's, we get the word uh, uh, carnivore, which means what? To eat, eat, to eat meat or to eat flesh. The word carnal means flesh. A carnivore eats flesh. A carnal Christian or a carnal person is one who is focused on the things of the flesh and not things of the spirit. We'll talk about that in, in a second, but let's read what he says about it. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. This goes along with the teachings of Solomon. Anything under the sun without God is vanity, better that you never been born. But everything spiritually minded brings you life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now that word enmity, it's, it shows up in Genesis 3, 15, where God says to Satan that I'm going to send someone that, that, that there'll be an enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And the word enmity is a hostile separation. It's almost uh, an angry uh, uh, kind of separation. Um, and so in this idea that there is walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh we have to understand when we are fleshly minded and certainly Christians can fall back into the mindset of the flesh. We can lose our tempers. We can lust. We can uh, worry. We can uh, sin. And we can be fleshly minded. And understand that to be carnal minded is death. The wages of sin is death. But because, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity. It's really uh, you're completely becoming an enemy of God in that point. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that flesh is a, uh, the, the word for, for being carnal. It's hostility towards God. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Let's turn there. 
Uh, we're going to read a couple verses from 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul writes a lot about this subject in 1 Corinthians because this was a, a big issue with those in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, they were very carnally minded. They were divided, and he, he wrote quite a, a strong book against them. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll look at verse 13. It says, These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man, or the carnal man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so, when you become a Christian, and the Holy Spirit indwells you, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And our perspective changes. It's incredible. My political views and my moral views completely shifted when I became a Christian. And the first time I noticed it, from my memory, it's been a long time, but as I, as I look back on my early Christian life, it, I, I remember the first time I used foul language after I was saved. And that's when I really discerned that there was a difference in me. I was 19, 20 years old. I was an athlete. I spent a lot of time in locker rooms and a lot of time with coaches who, who would cuss and cuss and watch movies with cussing. And cussing was just part of what my verbiage. It's how I spoke. And I remember the first time after I became a Christian and I cussed. And I felt bad. And it was a very strange phenomenon. I never felt bad about cussing before. So I noticed that just subtly that there was something different about me. Something that had a little bit of a, a, an uptick in my conscience, if you would speak. So what was it? What was the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit now dwelt within me. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. But the natural man doesn't have that filter. The natural man doesn't have that direction. And that's why we see today the world being turned over to a debased mind that we talked about in Romans 1. And it's incredible the things that are acceptable in our culture today. It's incredible the things that they want to teach our kindergartners and our first graders about sex and, and, and morals. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have dreamed 20 years ago it would ever got to this point. And yet we are spiraling into this decadent thing. Larry brought up a really interesting point in Sunday school class today, and I really appreciated it. He was going through Romans 3.20 where it says, Jesus stood at the door and knocked. And those that hear his voice uh, if they'll open the door, he'll come in them and sup with him. But he pointed out very uh, uh, brilliantly, I thought, the idea that only those who hear his voice open the door. 
The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they what? They follow me. Well, in this verse is from Paul. We realize that not everybody hears the voice as we preach. Some do, some don't, but we just keep preaching. But the natural man, the people that are really locked into the, the carnal part of it, they just don't get this whole Jesus thing. They don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. They love darkness rather than light. And look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. And these are believers. He's saying, look it, because you never read your Bibles, you don't study, you went back right into your flesh. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had a time, uh, Carol mentions this every once in a while, and I, it's, it's really a, a great observation, that, that when you're away from church a little bit, you just don't feel right. So something, when you're away from the Bible, you just start to feel a little like unclean, a little bit, and you got to get back and get that spirit back uh, and, and be re-strengthened. Because without growing in Christ, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. If you're not adding to those things, you tend to get back into kind of a fleshly nature. And 1 Corinthians have God totally off the rails. And Paul says, I, I can't even talk to you as spiritual people anymore. I have to talk to you as carnal, as babes in Christ. That's one of the hard things is to be patient with a new Christian. They don't know anything. They're different, but they still have a lot of their old nature about them. And, and it's a, it, it, this idea of sanctification is, is, a, is, a, is a progress. And sometimes it, it goes a little quicker. Sometimes it goes a little slower, depending how a person gets into a good Bible teaching church. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are not able. If you, you who come to the evening services, there's, there's a difference between a study in the morning and a study at night. In the evenings, we really try to get to some meat. In the mornings, on Sunday mornings, when we have a little bigger crowd, and we have to, it's, it's just a little bit, uh, not basic, it's still good, I'm not saying it's not, but there's all kinds of different levels of where a person is in Christ. And I may not give a complete gospel presentation on an evening service, but I'll definitely do it on a Sunday morning, especially if I see visitors. It's a big thing. For you are still carnal, verse 3 says, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. For when one says, I am Apollo, and another says, I am Apollo, and another says, I am Apollos, are you not carnal? All this division, all this fighting, you're just acting like the world. We as Christians should not look like the world. Shouldn't look that way. The world and and there's a there's a push in in some sections of Christianity that if we look like the world, we'll attract the world. That is never taught in scripture. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Why would you want to attract the world? We want to be spiritually minded and not carnal. Let's go back to Romans 8. 
like verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. See, now we're talking not to the carnally minded, but to us who love Jesus. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. There are many who go to church. There are many who even confess that they believe in Christ. But the Bible says very clearly that many will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. You didn't do the work of my father because a true Christian has the Holy Spirit. If a person, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. The fruit of the what? Spirit. If a person claims to be a Christian, but there's no desire to follow God, read his Bible, walk in the Spirit, the Bible says that, that we have a right to be not judgmental, but a right to be concerned. You will know they are Christians by their love. A, I always tell this story. I worked in the Bowen Alley for quite a few years, and I, one of my uh, main responsibilities there was Saturday morning kids' leagues, coaching and organizing. And then when the leagues were over, I would work the rest of the Saturday uh, just working the front desk. And that was the day families always came in to bowl. And they always came in ready to have fun, and there was always, almost always a little fight before they ended. Somebody was crying, somebody was mad, they didn't get their french fries, or they didn't mock, and Sissy was pulling her hair. There's always something. It's hard for families to. So this family came in one day, and uh, two kids, and uh, they just, I was watching, they were, they were just having the time of their life, sitting down, getting nachos, and hugging each other when they got any pins down, and it's like, and so they came, and they paid for their bowling after they were done, and I said, I said, do you mind if I ask you a personal question, and the father said, no, I don't mind, I said, are you a Christian family, and he says, why would you ask that? And I said, because you have a spirit about you. He says, well, yes, we have in our, I'm a deacon at our church, and I just knew it. How do you know it? There's love. They had love, joy, peace. There was gentleness. There was kindness. And that's what a Christian ought to be um, showing. If not, you're walking in the flesh. Verse number 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that life will be changed. Let's close with Galatians chapter 5. This is... the ultimate verses on what a changed life looks like. By reading these verses, you can recognize whether or not you're leaning towards the flesh or leaning towards the spirit. We want to walk in the spirit. Verse 9, let's start in verse 16, Romans 5. You know these verses, they're pretty familiar. Galatians 5:16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit 
against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now understand, as a Christian, even though some of these things may pop up, they are completely under the blood of Christ. Without Christ, it is who you are. You are a thief. You are a murderer. If that's how you live your life. And that's why a person who claims to be a Christian, but then can still live in these aspects without any conviction, that's the problem. Those who have a broken and contrite heart, those who are repetitive of their sins and remorseful about their sins, it's a different character. But those who can do these things without any kind of prick to their conscience, that's a problem. It is an evidence of a lack of the Spirit in their life. And without the Spirit, you are not saved. Verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These are not things that come natural. There's no law to make you do these things. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we are different. We are no longer under condemnation. God didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And if you are truly born again, you will have the Holy Spirit. And you will have a desire to walk in the Spirit. The way to do that is you've got to stay in the Word Stay in prayer. Stay in fellowship with believers. Do the things God instructs us to do. Um, I will tell you that uh, I love this church. And I love the people in this church. But people in this church don't go to church enough. It's 2022. And Jesus says we should gather even more as you see the day approaching. And... We should be in, we should be fellowshipping more, and I want to commend you uh, for your continued faithfulness to evening services, to Bible studies. I know you have at home, uh, to what um, you know, sitting with your kids. It, it, God is going to bless that. He's going to honor it. It's the only way to keep the spirit ahead of the flesh. Do you know what I mean? It's you've got to do it, and I, I want to commend you. And uh, for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings of your word. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. It's a difficult thing to do when the flesh is constantly at, at odds with it, Lord, and pulling and dragging us away. But help us to walk in you. In Jesus' name, we praise you and thank you. Amen.